Titus 3, 12 through 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So we are wrapping up our teaching series through the small but mighty book of Titus. You know what what, what keeps a lot of people like outside of the church uh, from going inside the church? <laughs> Other than COVID-19 right now? Um, what, 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 what keep, you know what I'm saying though, right? Like what keeps people outside of the church from wanting to visit a church or being part of a Christian community, uh, is typically hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Like when, when the Christians that they know talk a lot about Jesus, but they don't have any discernible walk with Jesus. It's kind of like this friend I had who was like constantly trying to sell me on this Atkins diet. But it seemed like every time that I ever hung out with him, it just happened to be like a cheat day for him, right? Just like loading up on all the carbs. And, 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 and I was just thinking like, man, how great could this diet be? How awesome could it be if you can't even follow it yourself? In the same way, some people ask, like, how great could this whole Jesus thing be if you're not really doing it yourself? If you're just talking the talk, but you can't discern any real spiritual walk. And there's some of that going on on the island of Crete. That's the context, the first century context uh, of where the, the letter, the book of Titus takes place. You see, part of the issue is that there were a lot of bad teachings uh, and bad leaders that were infiltrating the church in Titus. And so just as a, as a quick uh uh, a way to recap from the book, since we're ending it uh, this morning, uh, I, I kind of want to do a quick overview and remind you of where we've been. You remember that the, the book of Titus is written by the apostle Paul. And Paul and his protege, Titus, they were planting churches all over this island. But then like some wrong beliefs and bad behavior started to creep into the church. And so Paul, at some later moment, is sending a letter back to Titus. Paul's already gone off the island, but he left Titus behind. And he hears about the stuff going on on the island. And so Paul writes a letter back to Titus to help guide him on how to get the churches back in order, to help get these churches healthy again. And in Titus chapter 1, we saw Paul encourage Titus to appoint uh, good leaders in the church, healthy leaders that have these uh uh, all these character qualifications uh, in order and how those leaders need to be trained to teach sound doctrine and to refute uh, false teachers. And then in Titus chapter 2, uh, he shifts a little bit. Instead of just talking about leadership and the threats of false doctrine, in Titus 2, he shifts to how believers inside the church should treat one another how we should do life with one another, how older men and women need to be good models of character uh, to uh, children and those who are younger. He tells younger women to love their families well and to see their families not as a burden, uh, but as a calling, uh, worthy, uh, worthy calling from God. 
He tells the young men to be self-controlled, and then he ends chapter 2 reminding them of this amazing grace that they've been saved by, this amazing grace that he has been given to them in, in Jesus. Because you can never be reminded too much of how uh, God's grace is what brought you here and God's grace is what will carry you through. And then last in the last couple weeks, uh, we've seen as we've transitioned into chapter 3, yet another shift. Then he shifts in chapter 3 about how not just we're to live within the church, but how we're to live outside the church in respect to the authorities above us, being gentle and uh, but and being gentle towards others, but not pushovers, being transformed by truth and not causing uh, divisions or quarrels. And that brings us now, as we close the book and end chapter 3, that brings us now to the, ver the verses uh, uh, in the very last section of the letter, Paul's final greetings. Uh, and I want you to, to, to read now just a couple verses with me from uh, Titus chapter 3. He begins his final instructions and greetings with these words. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. Now, you might find it strange to, to, to preach on just a few verses uh, that are nothing more than the closing salutations of Paul to Titus, right? But I want to show you how these final verses and these names that he drops are real relationships uh, that he had with people that he dearly loved. And when we study those final greetings, uh, I, I think there's a lot that we can personally uh, take away from it ourselves. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll start walking through this text, okay? Uh, God, I thank you so much just for uh, the wonderful book of Titus, a book that was written from Paul to Titus, as he was investing in these brand new churches, getting them back in order and healthy again. A book that you've preserved throughout the centuries that is written specifically to the context of starting new churches. A context that we need to learn about as King's Cross Church. And I pray, Father, that you would just bless our time in your word, that you would speak true uh, true things through me, uh, that they might be powerfully and uh, graciously received by your people, that we could be built up in Christ and equipped for our mission uh, in the world. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So here's our first point. Point number one, we need the presence of people. That's the first thing we see in these final instructions and greeting is how we all need the presence of people. Paul says, essentially, he says, look, I'm going to send Artemis and Tychicus to, to you. Tychicus to you. I'm going to send them over to you to, to help you so that if you want, then you can come meet me in Nicopolis uh, this winter. You know what's going on in, this, in, in these verses right there, uh, verse number 12? He wanted to spend time with Titus. Paul wanted to spend time with Titus. He's writing this letter as a leader of leaders. 
He's written letters to churches. He's read, written letters to pastors like Timothy and like Titus. He's a leader's light of leaders. He's been talking about doctrine and about leadership. But even a guy like that, even Paul, the great apostle, needed encouragement and support and friendship from other people. He doesn't pull back here from his need for others. <clears throat> he says, look, I'm going to send uh, uh, Artemis or Tychicus to you. Uh, and when I do, when they get there, man, do your best to come meet me in the crop, uh, uh, Nicopolis. He doesn't pull back from his need for others. We see this also in, in Romans uh, chapter 1. In Romans 1, uh, verses uh, 11 and 12, he says, uh, he says to the church in Rome, he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You see, Paul knows that he needs community. He needs others just as much as anyone. And if Paul, the great leader of leaders, needed that, then, man, we should recognize our need for that, too. We were made for community. We were created for authentic community. It's not an option for us. Our whole journey of discipleship, which is just us following Jesus, growing in the gospel, growing in God's grace, our whole Christian journey of discipleship is not just one-on-one, -on -one, which is how we tend to think of it, Right? Like if you grew up in the church and you think of that word discipleship, you usually think of one person investing into another who invests into another. And that is certainly a very effective form of discipleship. But discipleship is not just one-on-one. -on -one. It's about all of us as Christians following Jesus together. It's about local churches investing into one another as we follow Jesus together. Maturity, spiritual maturity, isn't about needing people less, which is what we might think. We, know, we might think like, hey, if I'm growing in my faith, then I'm going to need people less and less. That's not what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity isn't about needing people less, but it's about loving people more. You see, we're realizing now in this season of our lives, in the year of our Lord, 2020, we are realizing now more than ever that presence with people matters. Presence with people matters. It makes a difference. So many of us are just losing our minds because we can't be present around uh, uh, a lot of the, like the, the people that we've, we're, we've just been accustomed to. We're missing out on those friendships. We're missing out on those family gatherings. We're realizing how much presence makes a difference. And look, Technology like this, like we're meeting right now, or like uh, when you know our home groups meet over Zoom, uh, 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 or uh, or when we have you know meetings through FaceTime, like all that technology is good and wonderful and useful, but it doesn't replace our need to be truly together. The reason that we're all just kind of balking at this and saying like, man, when is this going to be over? When are things going to start opening up? Is because we recognize this is not how it should be. We were made for relationship. We were made for presence. C.S. Lewis tells uh, this story in one of his books about how he and his friends, he had this group of friends, uh, he had a friend, Ronald and Charles, uh, at this one point in his life, and, and, and uh, 
uh, Clive, uh, which was C.S. Lewis's first name, Clive, Ronald, and Charles, they just had like the best of friendships. And he came to this point where Charles passed away. And, and Lewis said, you know, I was sad, but, but I was certainly sad, but I was thinking, you know, like, but now I'm going to have more of Ronald than I did before. Like maybe, maybe that'll be kind of like a positive from this, right? He's like, I mean, I'm sad that I'm going to miss, miss uh, Charles, but like, I feel like, like all, my, my relationship with Ronald is going to see new heights. Uh, but then months went by. And he realized that he didn't actually have more of Ronald. He had less of Ronald because he saw that there was a side of Ronald that Charles brought out that Lewis couldn't. And so he says, he says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. What he's getting at is this biblical principle that God uses people to shape us and sharpen us for the good of others and for the glory of God. Like we need others, people that God has called to be into our lives. We need each other in order to be fully the people that God wants us to be. The idea is that God uses other people to shape us and to sharpen us uh, into the kind of people that he wants to make us to be. People that exist for the good of others and for his ultimate glory. You see, there is something that is drawn out, that is uniquely drawn out when we're together in relationship with others. There's a group of theologians from the 90s who are famous for saying, if you want to be my lover... You've got to get with my friends. Now, obviously I'm joking. That wasn't theologians. That was the Spice Girls. Uh, but the sentiment's true, right? Like that sentiment's very true. Like, like have you ever noticed that you get to see more of someone? You get to see more of who they are? Uh, like somebody new that you've met, met and you're kind of getting to know them. You get to this point where you realize that you start to get more of them when you start to see them around other people, Right? Like maybe when you were uh, when you first start dating someone, you start to see new dimensions to who they are when you see them around their family, or when you see them around your friends or your family, right? I see this in my small kids. Their personalities really started to bloom and blossom when they started hanging out with other kids, started making new friends. The Bible says that community is not just how we can know other people or be known by other people. It's also the context in which we can better know ourselves. We learn more about ourselves when we're in community. It's the presence of others that begin to sharpen us, that begin to impart wisdom on us, that begin to to draw out our gifts, help us understand our weaknesses. Uh, and, and in Christian community, the ways we get begin to learn the ways that God might might want to use us uh, for His kingdom. It's a way we can better know ourselves. And see, this is why. Is this, this important principle is why we see Paul modeling both a longing for presence with other Christians and also intentionally like uh, just, just, just looking for it. 
We see this in, in Titus uh, 3 in, in, in verse 12 when he says, Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. He's telling Titus here, he says, hey, look, go to this place and this location. I'm going to be there for the winter. And man, I would love to hang with you. I would love to catch up with you. And so here's where you, where you can find me. You see, sometimes we need to be intentional about setting aside a time and a place just to be with people. And look. I know we're kind of all over the place right now in terms of like our health and our comfort with comfort levels with all things related to the coronavirus. These are truly like unprecedented times. And so I know that there's some of you that are like, man, I would love to make plans uh, uh, to, to, to do that, but I just feel like I can't right now or, 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 you know, I'm not quite comfortable with that. And I understand that these are strange, unprecedented times, but you can't let this season this unique season separate you from the reality that you need Christian fellowship, that we're made for it, that we all need it. Maybe you're not booking a flight to Nicopolis, but you can schedule some hang time on Zoom. You can have a socially distanced picnic at the park like we've done a number of times with some of you guys. You can come to our in-person gatherings every other Sunday that we have at King's Cross. I want you to read on in, in, in Titus chapter 3. Look at verse 13 now. He says, Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. See that they have what they need for their journey. You see, I want you to see in this verse that there's a diversity of personalities and gifts that God brings to the table when we're gathered together in community. Zenus here, we don't really we don't really know much about him uh, in in the scriptures. This is the only place that he is really mentioned. But 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 Paul does mention that he's a lawyer, right? It's a great person to have on the team. Somebody who's involved in law. We don't know much about him, but we see see that he he's somebody who who likely served behind the scenes of the apostles because we don't read a lot about him. Uh, he's a little bit more quiet, but he was obviously integral to the team by the way that Paul mentions his name here. And then Paul drops the name of Apollos. Now Apollos we do know about because the book of Acts tells us that there was this guy Apollos that was going around teaching from the scriptures and he was a really good teacher. He was a beast in the pulpit. He was a gifted guy who knew uh, the scriptures and evidently, we see from his story in the book of Acts that he also knew the value of people in his life. Acts 18 tells us that he was a gifted and powerful person, but he didn't know the gospel super well. And so there was this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who, who saw him and heard him speak and pulled him aside afterwards and said, hey, we want to spend time with you. We want to spend time with you in the scriptures. And they invested into him. They, they taught him, got him better acquainted with the gospel, better acquainted with the scriptures. And then look at him now in verse in Acts 19, after they invested into him, it says that Apollos was preaching and people's hearts were opened. His ministry reached out far and wide to the point where people were at one point comparing him to the apostle Paul. You see, some of us think that our value in the church is tied to a, a, a title or a ministry position or a reputation, but we see here that that's not true at all. 
Apollos, he was well known, but Zenos, he was hardly known. Not only that, he's encouraging here. He says, I, I want you to encourage the entire church to serve and to participate. In 1 Corinthians, we're told that, that the church is like a body, where each member of the body is connected to the other, uh, the one part uh, belongs to the other, and we all have different roles, we all have different functions, but every single one of us is needed. He says, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. I've got this, right? Like the body needs the eyes to see and the ear to hear and the hands to grab. Like we need each other. We're in this together. And in the same way, if you have, if you stub your toe, like your mouth bursts, your mouth bursts out in pain, right? Your lungs, you might hold your breath uh, and, 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 and your blood vessels, like all, all, all the energy of your body will go to that foot to care for it, right? Like, cause we, we need one another. We take care of one another. We belong together. Every part of our bodies has a function except the appendix, I guess. So you could say, Paul's saying don't be an appendix in 1 Corinthians, right? Nobody wants to be an appendix. You don't want to be something that serves no function whatsoever. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're in there or not. No, Paul says we're all like mem different members of the same body where Christ is our head. You see, people mattered to Paul. He wanted to send uh, some of his best to minister in this church. He asked Titus to come out and visit him. He asked Titus to go send out Zenos and Apollo so that they could bless other churches, make sure that they're taken care of on their missionary journey. If people matter, if people people matter, excuse me, if people matter to Paul, then they should certainly matter to us. The presence of people matters in the Christian life makes all the difference. That leads us into point number two. We are also shaped to serve the needs of others. We need to remember that in his closing remarks, that we are shaped to serve the needs of others. Look at verse 14 with me. Paul says, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Paul refers to our people. He's talking about the Christians there uh, in, in, the, uh, in the churches throughout, throughout Crete. He says, make sure that they devote themselves to good works. Now there's that theme again, that theme of good works. If you've been with us since the beginning, you know that this theme of good works has repeated again and again and again, just as recently as a few weeks ago, earlier in Titus chapter 3. And that's because good works are key to living out the grace of God. And that's what Titus is all about, right? This entire book is all about what it looks like to live out the transforming grace of God. And here we're told to devote ourselves to those good works. Now, what does that mean, devote ourselves to those good works? That word devote in the Greek is this word prostestai, prostestai. It means to set in front of you, set something in front of you as your priority. Make it your thing. Make it in, in your focus. Give yourself tunnel vision. Put it in front of you and make this thing your thing. It, he's saying make 
doing good works for the glory of God and the good of orders, make that your thing, make it your priority. You see, the grace of God, when, it, when, it, when, when, you are, when you are changed by the grace of God, there's a transformation of lifestyle that happens. It means that what you have is no longer yours. It belongs to God and to others. And so you're going to steward your money. You're going to steward your time. You're going to steward your relationships so that you can serve God and serve others well. You see, the reason that you need to set good works in front of you is because if you don't do that, you'll want to give up on it. You'll get tired. You'll get distracted. You'll get weary. And so he says, devote yourselves to good works. Set your desire and call for good works. Set it right in front of you so that you'll never give up on it because Good works require sacrifice. And when you feel that tension, you might be tempted to, to give up. You see, never be surprised when you're called to adjust your lifestyle in order to bless others, right? Like truly serving others means that there are going to be times where you're called to lay down your power or lay down your privilege, lay down your comfort or your convenience. And look, laying down our comfort and convenience, that is not the American way, right? That flies in the face of our culture. Our Western ideal says, look, I'm me, and I'm just going to do me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to change myself uh, in order to serve anyone else, right? Like, like, like don't, don't ask me to change myself. That's the Western ideal. But the Christian ideal says, Look, I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new creation, and I'm going to live for God and for others. And so if I have to lay down my comfort or my convenience to serve others, I'm going to do that. If I have to lay down my power and my privilege in order to serve others, I'm willing to do that. Because I know that by laying down that part of myself, I'm actually going to gain more of who I'm meant to be in Jesus Christ. I love the way that my friend uh, Brett McCracken uh, articulates this in his book, Uncomfortable. He articulates this, and he actually quotes uh, John Stott a little bit, so it's kind of like a little quote inception here. Uh, but Brett McCracken, he says, The Christian life is not a call to be true to yourself. It's actually a call to deny yourself, or at least to deny those parts of yourself that are incompatible with the human type we should all aspire to imitate, Jesus Christ. As John Stott says, true self-denial, the denial of our false fallen self, is not the road to self-destruction, but the road to self-discovery. We love talking about how Jesus meets us where we are at, and it is true that he does, but he doesn't want us to stay where we are. You see, Laying down a part of ourselves so that we can sacrificially serve and do good works toward others is a mark of the Christian life. Followers of Jesus show that they're followers by their fruits.
by the way that they follow Jesus. That's why Paul says, make sure they devote themselves to good works so that they're, and not be unfruitful. Paul actually articulates this another way in Titus 2 when he says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Man, what we see there is that this reminder that Jesus not only saved us to cleanse us from our sins, but to remake us, to recreate us, so that we could sacrificially serve, so that we could be zealous, not for sin, but for good works. There's a pastor up in uh, Colorado, Brandon Washington. He's a pastor in our church planting network, Acts 29. And I heard him on a podcast uh, uh, um, uh, recently giving this uh, really, I think, helpful analogy. He talks about how He's lived in this neighborhood uh, in the suburbs outside of Denver, and uh, the Homeowners Association recently had uh, sent out this letter saying, uh, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna send some people out to uh, you know uh, trim your trees for you uh, that are out on your front front lawns." And so he's like, "Oh, that's so awesome! You know, like finally put our HOA money uh, to some good use, right?" Uh, And so the day comes. When they're out there, uh, uh, and they're 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 you know uh, trimming all the hedges, uh, start trimming all the trees, and he can see them from his home office, uh, going from one tr- one one run yard to the next, one lawn to the next, uh, trimming all these trees, uh, and they get to his yard, and they trim this small tree, but they overlook this huge one, uh, and start going on to the next yard. And so Brandon like comes down and he gets out there and he's like, "Hey, uh, excuse me." He's like, uh, "I I noticed you skipped this, this this tree here. Is there a reason for that?" Uh, and they said, well, "Well, well, yeah. It's because that's a fruit tree. We were we were told just to cut and trim the non-fruit trees, uh, and that's a fruit tree. And so and so we can't cut that. Like we weren't we weren't paid uh, to cut fruit trees." And Brandon's like what are you talking about? Like I've lived here for many years and I've never seen a fruit on that tree. I've never seen a fruit on the ground below that tree. That is not a fruit tree. And they go, no, that's definitely a fruit tree. That's, and I forget what fruit it was. Like they like named the tree, you know, they're like, that's this kind of tree. Uh, it, 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 uh, it bears this kind of fruit during this certain season. And Brandon's like, I'm telling you, like for years, I've never seen any fruit on there, uh, on the trees or on the ground below that tree. Uh, and uh, this guy goes, well, it's probably because it's a domesticated tree. And he goes, what do you mean? He's like, well, it might be a domesticated tree. He's like, that's when they uh, sort of uh, biologically alter the trees uh, so that they don't grow any fruit because some people don't want to have to pick up fruit after uh, their fruit trees. And so they, they make them so that they don't bear any fruit. And Brandon was just talking about how he's just like befuddled. He's just kind of like confused. He's like, I don't understand why they wouldn't, uh, why they wouldn't trim this tree saying it's a fruit tree, but you can't call it a fruit tree in any meaningful sense of that phrase if it's made to not bear any fruit. And see, that's the same thing that we see in the scriptures. 
In the scriptures, we're told that as Christians, we should bear fruit. We should bear good fruit. We should bear the fruits of the Spirit. And if we're not fruitful, if we're not zealous for good works, then we cannot, in any meaningful sense of that word, be considered uh, spiritually mature as Christians. So I want you to just do a little heart check. Put a spiritual mirror in front of yourself. Look yourself up. Uh, uh, look at yourself up according to this text and in the, in, in the, before the scriptures, and ask yourself, "What can be said of me? What can be said of me when my unbelieving neighbors spend time with me? Like when your unbeliever neighbors spend time with you? Is there something about your behavior, something about your kindness, your language, your love for others that indicates that you are a new creation in Christ?" Are you bearing fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Those fruits that we see in Galatians 5. Are you bearing the fruits of, of, of being zealous for good works? Are you spending your life to the glory of God and the good of others? You see, service, serving others, Doing good works towards others is a Christian priority because people are a Christian priority. You see, the aim of our service is not just to get some like pat on the back from other Christians or from the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that's not our motivation for serving others. It's not to get a pat on the back, but to bless our neighbors. You see, Presence with people matters because we're to love one another, but serving matters because that's how we express our love. We express love by serving. That's how Jesus expressed his love to us, by serving. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve, to, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. And so we need to serve others, and we need to serve others in particular ways. That's why he says we need to uh, devote ourselves to good works. How do you love people? By specifically expressing that through specific, particular good works. C.S. Lewis says, if we say we love everyone in general, it really means that we love nobody in particular. You see, the way that we show love is by serving others in very specific ways, by praying for them in specific ways, by being present, uh, doing things in very particular ways. And Paul says, look, I, I don't want you to be cursed with an unproductive and unfruitful life. And so he tells Titus, look, tell the people, tell our people to devote themselves to good works. We don't want to be the kind of people who say one thing, but do another. Like those false teachers we were warned about in Titus chapter 1. Paul says that a false teacher is somebody who says these things, but they're really good for nothing. That kind of rhetoric, to be described that way, should frighten you. Uh, to be unfruitful in good works is to be compared with a false teacher. And so that should be really humbling. 
In Philippians 4, uh, we're told uh, when Paul closes his letter uh, to the church in Philippi, he says, look, you guys have blessed me. Uh, you guys have blessed me a lot. And I really appreciate that. And it's not that I seek your gifts, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he's saying is, he's saying, look, you guys have really blessed me with your gifts, but it's not just about me getting something from you that, that I'm excited about. It's the fact that by giving to me, you are going to receive something from God. God's going to bless you. He's going to count it towards your spiritual account. He's going to count it to your credit. God sees your hearts. He sees your actions. He sees when we choose to lay down our comforts and privileges in order to serve somebody else. And Paul says there in Philippians 4.17, look, God sees that and he's going to count it towards you. You see, this call to serve is a call to be like Jesus. That's the whole point. We're called to serve the way that Jesus served. B.B. Warfield says, if you would like to be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile, to the poor, the thankless, and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. Remember his own word when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, even when we were worthless, Christ died for us. And we get to be just like him when we serve and are generous. It is evidence that you're, you've received the, the gift of salvation. It, and it blesses you. It blesses you when you serve others. As much as we have in your time, in your resources, in your money, in your opportunities, in your relationships, as much as God has given us, let's commit to this. You know why he keeps repeating this refrain, this command uh, to do good works? It's because of the big point we've been repeating throughout this series. That God has given us grace. He's given us grace, though, not to hoard to ourselves, but he's given us grace to go into the world and bless it with that grace, with a transformed life. This is outward evidence of our inward change that is the truth that we proclaim, that, that is the truth that we proclaim and the good that we practice. Followers of Jesus serve out of what we've already been given. Sacrificial service should point to the sacrificial service of Christ. I want you to look now at our last verses for our last point. Point number three. We never graduate from God's grace. Look at our final verse there in verse 15 when he says, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. See, grace is what fuels our love for people. Paul closes this letter with his beautiful, that beautiful word, grace. The phrase, grace be with you, is... You could look at it as like a benediction or a prayer. Uh, it's, simple, it's just a simple prayer for strength. Strength as they seek to live out the grace of God. We need that grace because living faithfully in a faithless and broken word, world can be really hard. 
For all that they're facing up against in the world, they need grace. For all that we're facing and up against in this world, for all the things that you're facing this year, you need grace. This letter is written to you as much as it was written for Titus. You notice that he says, grace be with you all. Remember, Paul's writing to Titus. He's writing to one dude. But he says, grace be with you all. It's like he knows that Titus is going to share uh, these encouragements and writings with the churches there in Crete. And because it's preserved in the canon of Scripture, it's also a message that he wants to leave with us. He wants us to close his letter to Titus with that prayer and that benediction over us. Grace be with you all. That is a message he wants to leave with us, and it's a message that he wants us to leave with others. We have an opportunity to pray for one another. Now I want to encourage you guys to, to be praying for other, one another, that you may grow in the grace and strength of our Lord. Pray for others in the church that you know. Maybe if you're newish to King's Cross and you don't really know many people, would you just pray for our church's uh, community and our mission uh, that we might be effective at, at loving people the way that Jesus would and serving others the way that, that others, uh, that Jesus would serve them? You see, grace is what bring, brings us back to God. It's what reconciles us to God in the first place. Grace is what marks us as his church, and grace is what will fuel us on his mission. When Jesus sent his disciples to build up the church throughout the region, and for those churches to carry on that mission throughout the centuries, he left them with the gracious encouragement he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. He's saying, my grace, my power, my presence will always be with you. And so Paul, with that truth in mind, says, grace be with you all. Are you aware this morning of your constant need for his transforming grace? There is work God wants to do in you. Will you let him do it? There's a work that God wants to do through you. Will you allow him to transform you so that you can bear his fruit and bless others? Do you have the marks of spiritual maturity in your life? Do you sense God's unconditional love for you in Jesus? His great love that accepts you as you are, but is so great a love that he refuses to leave you that way. The only way to truly love people and serve others is through the power of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave up his life so that he could reach into the realm of death and decay and snatch you from it so that he could give you new life, a transformed life and a new purpose. How do you get that? By letting Jesus serve you with his life, death, and resurrection. 
It's amazing grace all the way through. I invite you to receive it and to live it out. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.